Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lamoth. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is setting the fiction for first-timers. But before we get into that, Colin. Yes, sir. What have you been up to lately? I feel like I always start off these episodes by talking about something that I did, and I very rarely ask you, what have you been up to? Well, let's see. In the gaming world, um, I'm dealing with a player whose schedule is about to kind of irrevocably shift, which may end up killing off my Wednesday game because he and his significant other participate, and if he goes, it's highly likely his significant other will duck out as well, which will leave us with, uh, out of a party of originally six, three. Ooh. So that that may end up uh, cutting that game tragically short. That's never a good situation. Is it the sort of thing where they will have maybe a different day that they can like join in a different game or well, is it like it's uh they're, they're involved in they're involved in in other games of mine <clears throat> that may not be affected by this shift so that's how that'll go but we we probably won't be able to shift this game to any other day in the week given the other people's schedules as well oh, so it just course. might yeah <laughs> it's just going to be one of those things that um <clears throat> we put on the back burner but since it is uh, the game that's set in the shared universe with the <clears throat> two others of my games that I'm running that are happening within like the same area around the same time. We'll see those characters again as kind of guest stars in other storylines that I investigate in my continuing games. So it's not well, like they'll be fun. gone, gone. I like that you have the whole shared universe thing going on so that, you know, when one campaign comes to a close or one game has to end... It's not actually gone. Hmm. It's difficult to do. It's difficult to pull off. Whenever you have three concurrently running storylines, you run into a problem where players in one game may cause something so insane to happen that it would logically affect what happened in another game. Um, And if that other game has already played through the timeline in which the first game uh, or which the second game messed things up, you have to find a convenient excuse for why those events went unnoticed or do some timeline shenanigans. There are certain Mm. there are certainly weaknesses and some frailties in involving three concurrent storylines. But since several of my players participate in all three of the different games, they have an, an innate sense of how to maintain the narrative cohesion, which helps, which helps a lot, uh, because it would be hard to juggle time on my own. I think putting the onus on your players for that is definitely a necessity, Hmm. because it's their game too. Very true, yeah. I mean, it's... It's easy to start to look at games sometimes as though they are the players versus the storyteller. I try to look at it as is the players, it's the storyteller setting out a setting and the players telling a collaborative story that stars themselves. Storyteller is there to create the proper tension and obstacles and the players are there to overcome it and to create just as interesting a story back. Absolutely. 
it behooves everyone at the table to actually present the best possible story that you can. And it helps when they buy into the main setting and narrative, which comes to our topic today, which is setting the narrative, setting your world, especially for first-time players. Right. And that that idea of buy-in is something that we've talked about a couple of times before, but Mm. I think it is the biggest hurdle for people who are just trying to get into the hobby or who have maybe been pulled into it by a... uh, a relative or a significant other or a very dear friend who says, hey, I love doing this thing. Will you do it with me? And then you've got this completely unconnected from the hobby person coming along and saying, okay, but this is that weird nerd shit that I always heard about in high school, but I never wanted to do because that's the step too far. And I feel like to get that person into the game requires a bit more investment of time especially from a storyteller or a dm so colin yes have you had a lot of first-time players lately first-time players to the group not first-time players to role-playing i've had more than a few of them um with my gen con larp that we had Mm. last year uh the best way and like that's sort of a unique case because it's a it's run over three nights uh, at Gen Con only. That's the only time that we do it in person. And then afterwards, we've got a Discord server um, to kind of take care of scenes in between the years and character advancement. So it's actually much easier to approach new characters that aren't sure about the world. Sit down, hey, let's grab lunch, let's grab dinner, let's grab a drink, let's just go for a walk. I'll tell you about the world, I'll tell you about where you sit, where you fit into it, and about where your character might fit into things where you can take the time to really talk to them about it. And I think World of Darkness actually makes it fairly accessible for people because it is set in the modern-day realm. So most of this setting is actually quite familiar. Um, And it's not as though the tropes of vampires and werewolves and mages are difficult to grasp from a conceptual viewpoint. So it tends to be an easier explanation. The only trouble is the exact details with some of the lore that is uh, admittedly on a bit of a learning curve, but I try not to make too much of an emphasis on it in my games so that new players can find it accessible. Sure. And I think that makes perfect sense. There is the, uh, there's the idea that I have run into and that I have personally felt myself, um, because, you know, we talked about it in, like, the re-record of episode one, the <laughs> Who the Heck Are We? Oh, yeah. Where you and I have both been playing role-playing games since we were in high school mm. or, like, depending on how you stretch that definition, earlier. Yes. But LARP was always one of those things where I thought, even as the nerd who plays Dungeons & Dragons or World of Darkness <laughs> or any of this stuff, LARPing is just one step too far. I'll never become a LARPer. Granted, that feeling didn't last long because, as we talked about, I did a night of LARPing when I was, like, 17 or 18. So I pretty quickly threw off that mantle. But I do definitely remember having a really difficult time, mostly because I didn't have anybody like you to actually, Mm. like, guide me through how the world was set up. So I come in with this character that, you know... In character, I have no idea what I'm doing, but also out of character, I don't know where anything goes. I don't know where I stand. 
And without having someone to ease me into it, it scared me away from the game entirely. Well, that's the main difficulty, isn't it? Uh, depending on how <clears throat> in embedded and, and how strange the world is, you find yourself in the strange circumstance of having a character that would know more about the world than you, the player who's playing the character, actually knows about the world. And so it's, exactly. It's difficult, right? It's difficult to play them to you know, the hills that you feel like they should be, like, uh, you, you end up in a lot of situations where you'd be like, ah, my character would actually probably know that. And I would have reacted differently if I had known that my character would have certainly known that. <clears throat> yep. So, I, yeah. I cannot tell you the number of times I've run into almost exactly that situation where it's just like, my character should know who the king of the country I've been living in for my entire life is, but... I'll be damned if I know it. Exactly. <clears throat> and that's uh, a unique bit of difficulty that you can run into as a DM, and it depends on how you set your story. Obviously, some game lines are a little easier than others. Like, you know, as I'd said before, World of Darkness or Urban Shadows or any game that's set within, that uses the setting of our modern day, albeit with the underlying supernatural, magical, science fiction-y or whatever elements that make the game the game. Uh, mm -hmm. They're much easier to be involved in because traditionally it's all it's all the same, same companies, same modes of life. You just overlay the supernatural things, and it actually sort of makes sense why you wouldn't, why your character might not know all of those details because the supernaturals and things like that are naturally secretive. It's kind of an old Illuminati vibe. <clears throat> it's but, meant to be hidden. Yes, but in fantasy games, in our D&Ds, in our uh, Genesis, our, our so many of these, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, the entire Legend of the Five Rings lies a giant book dedicated to its setting and how to play the game. I own that book. I have never run a game of that because I know that if I wanted to run that game, I'd have to sit down and understand all the lore to really, like make use of some of the uh, mechanics that are tied into the actual history of Rokugan or, or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's what what their little world is called. Um, and well, and not just that, but you as the storyteller need to know as much as you possibly can, but then you need to make sure your players know everything they need to know as well. Exactly. So, so it's like, not only are you learning something for the first time, but you're also teaching it. Mm, yeah, you have to be, a DM has to be a fairly good instructor. And I find that there are a lot of DMs that struggle with this, that struggle with being able to communicate the, ne the necessary knowledge that you need for your characters on first go. Because remember, some DMs like to meticulously plan out their first sessions with uh, notes and beats on what the story is going to look like, with stat blocks for all of the enemies and NPCs, and some people like to play it a little bit loose, a little more improvisational, like myself, in which case you don't necessarily come to the table with a, with a written directive of how things are going to exactly go, and there are weaknesses and benefits to both styles. Um, but you, the one thing you need to have is the ability to communicate. A role-playing game, especially around the table, is a game that is mired in communication. 
you have to be able to communicate what your character is doing in order to resolve the action. As the DM, as the storyteller, you have to be able to take a character's, or rather a player's desires for their character and translate that into storytelling that engages and compels and draws in. So communication skills are kind of a must for role-playing games, especially if you are, or more certainly if you are running them. Right. And, you know, you can get around that depending on the kind of game that you're playing, because if you have more of the, you know, simulationist wargamey sort of stuff, the type of communication that you have to engage in can be a little bit different. So, like, if you're running something like Warhammer 40k, where battlefield placement and tactics are more important than, like, person-to-person role-playing... You don't necessarily have to be really good at conveying history and community and, like, social strata as long as you can convey how things are set up and why things are happening, then you're doing okay. Unless you're playing the role-playing game for 40k, which is well, a pen and paper role-playing game that has to do with numbers and rolling dice and understanding abilities. There's the rub. Like, as soon as you want to put actual role-playing into the situation, that's where that communication becomes definitely essential. Well, I mean, look at the word itself. Role-playing. You take upon a role and you play it. You can't take upon that role and play it if you're not communicating that role. And some people do it to greater degrees than others. And it's certainly you don't have to be a professional actor or anything like that in order to engage with a player or with a new character. But you do have to be open to allowing yourself uh, the permission to play the role that you're in. Um, and I want to clarify, when we're talking about this, Colin and I are not saying that if you are not doing, like, kooky character voices and spilling out these long and intricate tales of intrigue and mystery, then you're not a good DM. We would never, ever go that far because... You can be the most monotone person in the world, and as long as you have a command over what you are actually trying to convey, you're doing fine. It's all about, are your players understanding you? Especially any first-timers that you've got at the table. Right. Including first-timers into your group kind of necessitates understanding what those first-timers are there looking for which you can get from a very first meeting, a cursory meeting with them. If we're talking about a con game, they bought a ticket to your game based on the description that you've put out. So at the very least, they're interested in either A, the system, or B, the small bit of story that you've posited out. So you know you have them at least on that level. Afterwards, it's a very short kind of conversation. Hi, what kind of player are you? What do you value? Very quick. They'll tell you what they they'll tell you what they can essentially can about themselves and about what they're looking for, and you can incorporate that in your style going forward. But if you're looking to add a new player into your long-term group, and I know that this isn't the ideal that all people can do, but for me, I usually like to take some time to get to know the person that is coming into the long-term group, because realistically, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with this person. Uh, If I'm running a game once a week or once every other week or even once a month, it means that I'm going to be seeing this person on a consistent basis for a set number of hours, at least on a schedule. And 
I'd like to know who they are, especially because I'm including them into my pastime, do a thing that I truly and genuinely enjoy. I'd like them to be well, friends. There is a truth to this idea that every player at your table is now in a relationship with you. It is a very unique kind of relationship that sits somewhere between colleague, coworker, and friend. But it is, in that, something that you need to have understanding with and you need to maintain. And when you're saying to a new person, whether they're new to the hobby and you've known them for a while, or they're new to your group and someone else has brought them in, or it's the sort of thing where... You know, you've gone to a meetup and you're running a game for six strangers and three of the people sitting at the table have never picked up a D&D book before. Mm. You have to have an understanding of how to immediately develop this sort of relationship where, at the very least, you can trust each other to progress the story. So in my estimation, there are different approaches depending on the different kind of game that you are running. If this is a, a pickup game that you're just running at your game shop, I would advise DMs to make their story as accessible as possible. You may have a world that has a sprawling narrative and a fantastic history and deep immersive lore and political intrigue, but if it's a pickup game with a bunch of people that you've just met, simpler will be better. You want to Absolutely. be able to draw the players into the story without leaving them lost and confused. They don't need to have the entire history of their family written down or actualized. If the player, if after the pickup game that you start up, the player wants to develop that out and continue playing with you, awesome. Absolutely include them in. I am a firm believer that player investment is kind of what is the lifeblood of the games. Anytime a player's like, I'd like to get a little bit more involved with the story. I'd like to talk more about my family's character or my enemies and something. I always make time for those conversations because it's a buy-in that I won't leave on the table because it won't always be there. Absolutely true. I mean, a lot of the times the way that you develop a world is by developing it with your players, seeing what they latch onto and what they're interested in and what they give you. Because as storytellers, as game masters, as whatever you want to call us, we can only really focus on so much at any given time. Mm -hmm. And if you've got this spreadshot version of like, I have to create this whole universe, whatever it is, whether you are doing like a spacefaring game and you've got nine different planets that your players can go to at any given time, or whether it's a very, like, relatively smaller scale World of Darkness sort of thing, and you have a city that you are constructing. Your focus as the person running that game has to be on the wide scale, which means your players, if you've got people willing to come back, are going to be the ones who are seeding that with the very specific details, the stuff that really matters to them. And all you can do in those first few sessions at the table is give them this idea that there is so much more than you can possibly show them at any given instant. It's true. And I think a little bit further is you have to be prepared 
to let some of your genius go. And I, and I call it genius because DMs are by and large, very prideful about the work that they put out there. And as they should be, it, you put together uh, sweeping narratives, histories and things that only your players will ever really know about. And I would be remiss to say that it would be wasted effort, but you have to be prepared for that effort to go unappreciated in some places. Your characters, your players will not always engage with all of the elements of your plot or will ever know the full history of your unique realm. It may never come to that. And unless you're willing to employ some railroading strategies, you have to be willing to say, okay, I may love this planet, and I think it's got a really cool plot on this planet, but the players don't seem to be interested in the in any of the plot hooks I've thrown them for it. So I'm going to have to set that aside and focus on the story that the players have chosen to follow. Yeah, there's an old writing adage that is essentially, kill your darlings. <laughs> and it is exactly that idea. Like, this, this thing that you really love, that you poured your heart and soul into... It's just not panning out. Just let it go. So, Jess. Colin. <laughs> what, in, in your long career of role-playing, what was the world that was most inaccessible to you? What was, what was the world that was hardest to set yourself in, and can you oh, explain man. why? I have such a quick and easy answer for this one. Uh, Eberron. Mm. It's a Dungeons and Dragons setting that I am currently in a game that has been running for like nearly two and a half years that we've been playing in this one setting and I still cannot wrap my head around half the backstory stuff that's been presented, uh, which is really, it's a shame because the broad strokes of the setting are so interesting to me. It's this whole sort of, like, dungeon punk, everything is very, like, arcane and deep, like, very deep lore. There's a lot going on there, to the extent where you've got this entire race of <clears throat> people called the Warforged, which are literally just magical robots. Like, they're magical yep. robot people. I, my first character in this campaign was a Warforged, and I eventually got to the point where it was like... None of this makes sense to me. And it's it's frustrating because I don't know exactly why none of it really just stuck with me. But, like, I've looked through the various books because there are a lot. There's a ton of source material out there about Eberron. Sure. Uh, and for some reason, it all just hits me very flatly. Uh-huh. And I... <clears throat> The the problem is my solution as to, like, what am I doing about my lack of penetration into the game was to kind of just jump full in. And I, I wrote out my original character and I brought in a bard who is uh, College of Lore, which is the thing in D&D &D 5, which is essentially like, you exist for stories. You love stories and you want stories and that's your thing so i'm like okay i will roll with this and i will try to force myself to understand as much about this world as possible i like the character a lot i, I still don't know much about the world itself <laughs> uh, 
Are are the other players in the game, um, do they know more about the world, can stick themselves in the world better, or are they also struggling like you? Uh, I think, generally speaking, I know one of our players um, doesn't... She doesn't play with other groups. Like, we're pretty much the only game that she plays. Uh, but she's also got a character that she really deeply cares about, and thus has researched pretty heavily the things about those sides of the world that matter to her character. But it's also a sort of fish-out-of-water story, so when we come across something that she has no idea what it is, there's a character justification for her not knowing anything about it. And then one of the others, I think, already knew a pretty good amount about the setting. Uh like, had played in it before, so that wasn't even an issue there. But I think, generally speaking, I'm the one who's furthest behind, which is weird. <laughs> That's not a role you're used to being in. It's really not, especially when it's something where, theoretically, I should just be able to pick up a very accessible book or look on even more accessible websites and be like, okay, just learn me all this nonsense. But what has kept you from learning you all this nonsense to coin your parlance, so to say? I honestly couldn't tell you. There's, I think part of it is that I haven't had the same sort of buy-in with the world that I've had with the character, mm. which shouldn't really be a thing as I say that out loud because you would think if you are into the one you're in you know in for a penny in for a pound sure that's actually kind of an interesting thing to explore how are you buy-in what's your buy-in for the character that doesn't place you with a buy-in for the world Where, where's that dissonance coming from to be honest I am playing this character like 75% comedic ah uh, I, Which I, I think occasionally annoys a couple of the people that I'm playing with. Um, but my DM seems to be into it, and nobody is actually telling me to stop playing it that way, so I'm gonna run it into the ground. And, you know, I, that doesn't mean that I can't have serious moments and I can't take things seriously. Interesting turn of phrase, run it into the ground. Of course. Because <laughs> that's what you do with a joke. Okay, so the, you do so you recognize that there will be an end of the tunnel where you have ground out this this jokey this like this jokey character so much that you that no one will want to touch it anymore. Well, and that's why I'm not afraid to give him because this is this is Staniel that I'm talking about. I know oh I've God, mentioned Staniel, Staniel on a podcast before, so I am not afraid to give Staniel deep and meaningful moments and i'm not afraid to let the story happen around him but i also recognize that it is not staniel's story uh which i think has helped a lot because my first character like there was a lot about doc that was integral to the main plot that we seemed to be following and that was almost too much on my shoulders of like, hey, a lot of this world building and stuff comes down to your character. Do you know everything going on? And my answer was always, no, I don't know anything. I'm completely lost. So 
getting rid of that character was mostly for my own sanity as much as anything else. Hmm. Okay. But, you know, when the time comes where the joke of Staniel is not enough to actually keep the character going, I still have the seriousness of why he is along for the ride. Uh, and it's it's not the noblest reason to go on a quest, but he has this very deep understanding and has, since he met this group, that these people have some kind of big destiny, whether they are meant to or not. And if I stick with them, I am going to find a very interesting story. And I think that's enough to keep the character going. Fair enough, fair enough. Now I'm going to turn that question around on you before you ask me another question, (laughs) because I've been talking for like 10 minutes. Uh, Can't have too much of that, can we? No, we can't. There's got to be give and take. Give and take. Some, Some witty dialogue, some rapport, so to say. See, listeners love a good rapport. But, uh, what is a world that you have found impenetrable for yourself? See, I was thinking about that just as I asked the question, and I've been a DM for so long that it is difficult to remember being a player. You know what? I've got it. Uh, there was uh, a world that is similar to World of Darkness that I actually had some real difficulty understanding. Um, just because I had no familiarity with the series that it was based on. It was the Dresden Files. I haven't read them. So uh-huh. I played within the Dresden world with no conceptual idea of any of like what the world was about or how any of these abilities. We used the fate system, which I really enjoyed, incidentally. Um, mm-hmm. But I found that when I don't understand anything about the world and can't place my character into a serious place for that world, I play them I play the characters actually kind of stupid in order to just internally justify to myself how they could have gotten to the place that they were while knowing virtually nothing about the world that they're immersed in. Okay. I found that it was really fun, but some players found it very annoying because my uh, my character was just like a was like a meathead bro. Um, and I had a lot of fun playing him. Um, he was a uh, he was a werewolf. Um, I can't even remember his name, but he had a really bro sounding name. Uh, and and that was his whole gimmick is he was just kind of an alpha meathead dumb guy who was down to go and hang out with the party as much as possible and threw himself into dangerous situations. That was just all that he was about. I did right not on. work on intrigue. I did not work on political stuff because I did not understand it. And I didn't have the time. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that does actually like touch on something that can be both helpful and harmful when you're dealing with trying to get players into a new world, because, like, The Dresden Files is a book series that I have been reading for years. It's something that I'm pretty darn familiar with. Uh, I own the core book for the role-playing system, but I've never played it because I've never actually had anybody around me who was also into the stories and into the books. So, like, I didn't want to try and drag somebody into a new thing to care about. But I think if you can find a system that's based off of something that you are into, and you have other people who are into it as well, 
And, you know, this goes for, like, all sorts of things. Star Wars is a great example. Sure. There's a very good Star Wars role-playing game out there. Yes. I'd be happy to actually do a, do an episode about that. I've played that quite a bit. I would love I would love to just dive into that because I've never actually played it myself. Perfect. I'll put that on my docket. Uh, but I think what it gets down to is, like, you can very easily get people to buy into something that they already care about. Uh, and, you know, this even goes so far as, like, with Dungeons & Dragons settings, there are a whole bunch of books based in the Dragonlance universe. That is a campaign setting that you can run players in. Like, with World of Darkness, if people are into the show Supernatural, you just tweak your monster rules to basically follow their rules instead, and you have this sure. whole hunter society. Like, yeah. using fiction to get people into your fiction? Totally valid. A hundred percent valid. Of course, they have to be familiar with that fiction. Otherwise, there is an additional learning curve. This is true. You definitely don't want to be like, okay, so today we're going off of, um, we're doing a gothic horror campaign reminiscent of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and then you look around the table and see blank stares coming back at you from everybody, because who has actually read Mary Shelley these days? I, I have. Well, you're ahead of the curve. It's required reading in one of my classes. Ah, uh, I see. Frankenstein's a, actually a book that, you know, is required reading in some classes. I thought you were going to go with, like, some sort of obscure novel. Well, I mean, like, Frankenstein is not obscure, but it is nearly 200 years old. Sure, sure. But to be fair, who is not familiar with Frankenstein as a trope? Well, okay, that's a different story. I was completely going, like, the epistolary writing style and the, like... Okay, the how Prometheus are you going to run a game in, in that writing style? I don't know, but it would be interesting. It would be interesting, and I'm going to put it on you. You know what? You present to me how that would go. How would you preserve... That's actually a really good question. I'm putting that on your plate. This is your assignment. Oh, good. You need to tell me how would you preserve a writing style... In a game setting, if that was what you wanted to highlight in order to bring players into that world. I will think on that and get back to you next week. Thank you, sir. I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself a note of that <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm gonna pull up our document, be like How's that for rapport oh, and dialogue? Oh no, where's my cursor? There it is. Is is that what you were looking for? Is that is that more of the dialogue? The, the interchange that you wanted, buddy? You know, yeah, I think it really is. We All need right. to give each other challenges occasionally. Oh, well, I've set I've set the uh, I've set the stage, so I guess you can throw one my way when you think of one. I will as soon as I think of it. Ah, no problem. So So Go ahead. Yeah. I didn't actually have anything like meaningful or clever to say. I was just trying to get out of the fact that I was just wow. typing for like a solid 30 seconds. Don't jump in with a so unless you know where you're going. Where are you going to find yourself when you when you finally land? Colin, we're both improvisers. <laughs> we jump in all the time without knowing where we're going. Uh, all right, well, Actually, uh, funny story. I was talking to somebody, and this is unrelated to the topic, but it okay. is about a first time, so I can work it in there. I was talking to somebody about how you and I actually met, and I told them... 
we met in college, but we had actually, like, competed before that without having any idea that we were doing so, because we were both in an organization called Comedy Sports back in high school, which was an improv comedy league, and I cannot tell you three words in the English language that can go together in such a way to make people think you are a crazy person faster. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely true. Uh... (laughs) I, I can't remember when I might have faced off with you, but I'm sure it I'm sure it happened. Well, I know like we you went to cathedral, right? That's correct. Yeah, we faced off against cathedral like two or three times a year, so I know it had to have happened. Yeah, I just no memory of the of the circumstance. I don't even yeah. know who won. Anyways, um <clears throat> Rather than banter on the old times, I'd like to circle back into our topic just just for a moment, just for a Please, moment, yes. if I may. Um, <laughs> just just a moment just, out of this podcast about yeah, this thing. Just just a second. I, I promise we won't spend too long in this. Um, <laughs> in order in order to say it, it is completely possible to run a game within a fantasy setting with new players having no idea of what's going on. In fact, it happens all the time. In most one-shots, they don't actually go into a great deal of detail. You're adventurers, you have entered into a scenario, and what do you need to know? The genre is fantasy, you swing a sword or you cast a spell, there are monsters you need to slay. And there doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that, and it can still be immersive. I think there's something to be said, of course, for having personal histories become part of your immersive tapestry, but especially for pickup games and especially for new time players, sometimes you don't need an immense amount of preparation or even teaching to bring someone in. Say, this is this is the character, this is the situation. Maybe your character doesn't need to talk about their past because we haven't established it yet. For right now, there's only this situation that that you need to focus on, and that's all we need to have right now. We can get into and build your character retroactively after this session if it's something you want to stay involved in. It's not like you need a detailed backstory and a detailed understanding of the world when you're first going in. You can build that through your game knowledge. And it's important for a DM to underline and understand what about the lore of the world that they are in is vital for a character to understand for playing in general and what stuff is more fluff that they can bring into their characterization at a later time. And that's that's a that's a familiarity thing, that's a skill set thing. You will know uh, as you run games what ends up being vital and what ends up being not so much. Now, see, I'm glad you just went on that nice little rant and talked about all of that because, to be real, these uh, like one-shot games that I've been running for a little while—that's pretty much exactly what I do. Where like I will have players who have maybe never role-played in their life, and I'll give them a character sheet and I'll yeah. say, "Here's like what's basically happening right now. What's your name? Definitely. Let's roll." Yeah. <laughs> And, like, people jump into it as long as there are other people around the table who are also into it. If you get all first-timers, like, that that point of entry becomes a lot steeper because nobody really seems to know exactly what's going on. 
which is why if you can, if it is at all possible, always seed one veteran player that you're familiar with into mm-hmm. a group. Obviously, that's not practical for every situation, but like, goodness gracious, does it help. Look, lore can be restricting and restraining. Nobody wants to do homework before they have to start doing the thing that they really enjoy. As it so happens, we end up doing that anyways, but you can make it fun. If you don't have the buy-in to the setting yet with your players, no big deal. Hook them with your story and the buy-in will come. If they want to start to learn more about the world because it'll give them an advantage to being able to recognize, oh, hey, that NPC is from this faction. I happen to know a bit about that faction. Oh, this is exciting. Something that I've read is now actually in front of me and I'm interacting with it. That's cool. Um, It's a very good feeling when it happens. It doesn't happen with everyone, but I have seen it before, uh, especially when I run Star Wars games and I bring in kind of some obscure lore thing that people have been interested in researching anyways. And like, oh, oh my God, I know these guys. I I really enjoy that excitement and knowing that their interest in setting themselves in this world, in this character, has drawn them to gain that fictional knowledge that just based on their own self-interest. Because in the end, we are all building a collaborative story. We all are working to have a good time. And what you bring to the table as a player can be enhanced by the amount that you know about the story in general. You can make more grandiose contributions by being able to say, I'm taking this bit of lore and this bit of lore and interlinking it together. You're helping the storyteller... I guess, um, broaden the setting to make it more evocative and draw other people in. It's not a necessary thing. And honestly, in some games, it might be better to just work on your own thing. Hey, we haven't seen any halflings in this, in this D&D game before. Uh, do you mind if I give you an idea for what halflings are up to in this world? Do you mind running with it? And DM will either be like, oh, actually, I've got plans for halflings. But, you know, generally, if it was me, I'd be like, yeah, shoot me the idea. Let's see if it let's see if it'll work. That's great. When you have investment in the world, and especially within the story, whether it's character buy-in, it's gonna be your world buy-in, it's gonna be your plot buy-in, you broaden the experience of fun for everybody else involved. Investment is a two-way street. The more you invest into a game, the more you get out of the game. And it goes both ways in the sense that Players investing more into the game means that they'll gain a more grand adventure. The DM investing more into the game means that the players have more and more toys and things to play with uh, in order to advance their characters and more plots to explore. Mm. I think we've spent a lot of time talking about this from the DM side or the storyteller side. I, I, I want to find a word that we can use. This is a total side note. So I don't have to keep, like saying the different things because dm is the whole like specifically dungeons and dragons thing and storyteller specifically world of dark no i'm just gonna say game master game master anyway we've been talking a lot about this from the game master side and a little bit less from the player's side but there is one thing that i would like to say from that end of it and if you are the first time player coming into a campaign and you want to be further invested and you want to know more about the setting Never be afraid to ask questions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you will ask something that your GM hasn't thought about. And you'll say, like, hey, there are no farms around this city. How do they get their food? 
And that's when your GM has to either scramble and think on their feet of like, oh, they, uh, it's a mercantile city and all of the food is shipped up on the river from this other place just, uh, just a few miles away. Bingo bongo, you're done. Or you will uncover something that they actually did have planned and then they get to feel super smart and tell you about their super cool thing. Everybody wins in that scenario. Learning is all about asking questions from a place of ignorance. The more questions you ask, the more things that you'll get to know. And so try to be interested in the efforts that your DM has put in, and also try to be interested in the efforts your other players have put in. If they're walking around, like if they've described themselves and they've, they've, they put a lot of description around this weird edgy sword that they've got, buy into that. Ask them about it. Give them a chance to show you their plot buy-in as well. Yeah, and if they have a weird edgy sword, show them your weird blunt sword and see which one is better. <laughs> On that note, I think I'm going to lead us out to the outro. Please do, but first, Jess, should new listeners want to immerse themselves in the world of our podcast, Dodecahedron, how might they do that? Well... Obviously, you could go back and listen to older episodes, which are completely available on iTunes and Google Play, and I'm working on getting them onto Spotify this week. And if you want to interact with us in any given way, maybe ask us a question about the worlds that we've crafted, or tell us something about what you've done in your gaming history. (laughs) You can send us an email at dodecapodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at Podcast Dodeca. That is the only weird one. I'm about to list off a whole bunch more that are just at Dodeca Podcast, including Instagram, Tumblr. I guess that's it. Facebook. Facebook, yeah. (laughs) My brain is working super well today, can you tell? I super can. Thank you, of course, for listening. Yes, from all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you so much for listening to our nonsense. And we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure. <laughs>